0: So we are here with Ethan Grossman. Ethan um, has been a trainer in New York City for probably what, about seven years? Yeah, seven years. years. I met Ethan when he was about 23 years old. He's 27 now. He impressed me a long time ago. He was way above his years, but he always had this passion to become a bodybuilder has studied under very smart people, Pat Davidson being one of his closest friends and mentors right he's my best man right you would love that <laughs> and um, I think I want to get into your story a little bit and I want to start back to school and the trajectory of everything because it's impressive it's also it's also a little bit different than I think what a lot of you know bodybuilders and fitness people have been exposed to
1: but I want to actually just before that you uh, when you guys saw each other it was the first time you saw him in how many years
0: i haven 't seen so that
2: twenty three uh, it has to be Three years, four years. And how much
0: bigger was he? you, you, you gained 50, 60 pounds?
2: Yeah, I'm 265 now. I might have been, yeah, 220. I mean, has that been like your
0: heaviest? Up. I know you just did. A, you did a show recently, or?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I competed, you know, around 200. I dieted down from, you know, 235, 240. Um, so yeah, this is the heaviest. It's it's fun. I'm learning a lot. And you're
1: going to compete in the open class?
2: Yeah, I compete open. Bodybuilding. So. Um, the goal so I'm I'm five foot eleven and you know you got a picture of Ronnie Coleman up there who's also five foot yeah. eleven. Right? Good height to be, but you gotta put on a lot of size to, to fill that frame. So the current goal is to get up to three hundred pounds by two thousand twenty one. Um, and DEXA scan fifteen percent body fat. So, you know, it's like building out a business plan. You say, Okay, this is the time frame, this is where we wanna go, let's work backwards. And you say, okay, these are sort of like the uh, parameters we need to fill. What are the tools we have to fill them? Let's find the right tools for the right job. And some of that is, you know, finding mentors and, um, you know, just having to learn new things along the way, which I just find super fun.
0: Now, I want to back up and just do a quick couple minutes on your education, how to start for you. And then I want to I want to dive right into, you know, the trajectory, this 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 path for you over the last four years, because it's I mean, to take your body. For anyone to take their body from 220, 200 pounds, call what you want, 50, 60, 70 pounds with an additional 30, 40 pounds to grow. I mean, there's few people in the world who could say they did that while keeping body fat that low. 15% on a DEXA is, if you can do that at 300 pounds, that's pretty,
2: and you will, and I know you will. The last one was uh, 250 at 10, like shortly after the show. Um, and I would say I remember being, you know, 150 pounds when I started lifting. So that would that kind of starts the story, right? Like right. 12 years old. Well, let me just say thanks for having me, guys. Zach, I haven't sure. met you before, but I, I've been watching some of these podcasts. It's a pleasure to be here. Hopefully Don. not
1: the old ones; they were horrible.
0: No,
2: <laughs> they're all old now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, they're really old ones. But no, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I would like say Don's... that too because I'm also terrified of you because you.
2: <laughs> I I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Don, we go back uh, a little ways and, you know, you, you know, like I don't have any social media presence. Like I, I have nothing to sell. Usually at the end of these things, they ask, like, where can people find you? And it's like, eh, I don't know. reach out to Pat, like, yeah. and then you know, he'll, he'll vet you and we could talk. But this is just for fun. And it's like, you know, there are really two things that made me want to do this rather than, you know, turn it down or pass it on to Pat. One was the first magazine I ever picked up going back to, you know, 150 pound. Ethan was a flex magazine. And had Lee Haney on the cover. I'd probably been training, you know, for a year or so at that time. But I had, you know, all of the Muscle and Fitness magazines stacked up, month after month. And, you know, now um, the avenue for information is a little bit different. We we have video. What are you and talking about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> magazines of the future. No.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's 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 easier to find uh, this information, and like it's there's a lot more of it.
2: I mean, I get so much good information now through podcasts or audiobooks and stuff like that, Um, you know, so if I can help other people that were in the same position, so there's that. And then, you know, with Don, I was, when I came to New York, um, again, sort of seeking out the the right mentors and the right tools for the job, Um, you know, his gyms, you know, one of the most prestigious gyms like in New York City, and with that, he has some really good talent there. One of my good friends, Connor Ryan, was a physical therapist. Love Connor. The so, you know, I was working with Connor at the time. We met each other. And the really cool thing, you know, Don's this, like, trainer to the stars, owner of this gym, but really why, you know, I'm here is because, you know, Don and I went out to Bev Francis, right, and we hit legs. So it's like, okay, this guy talks the talk, you know, looks the part. Try but he and hang wa- with him. He, it's walks, tough. he walks the walk. No, thanks. And, like, him. I really <laughs> yeah. appreciate that. Like, I don't really want to talk to people who don't walk the walk. So that's what's fun about I'll this. I'll never forget this
0: leg session him and I had. We'd be going, I, it was like a field trip. Like, he came out from the city or from jersey i don't know where you where we live in jersey yeah yeah he came out from jersey and i was like all right we're gonna get a great work we're probably gonna end up hitting him for two hours um i'm gonna try and keep up with him which i'm not gonna be able to but if i can hang in there great and uh we're gonna go to the yim's afterwards and we're gonna eat some steamed flank and rice and broccoli and we we honestly did that when you do that with someone there's a bond there's something that you share you almost it sounds like very corny but you're almost like going to war in a fashion that's really special. Like, for him and for myself, going and doing those experiences, for me, it's, like, very special. It's, like, breaking bread with someone, you know? Yeah. It's, like, going out and drinking wine and having food. You, when you go to the gym with someone, it's, like, a special moment. Completely agree. Yeah, it's awesome. So, sorry about my rant there, but no, i getting ulterior. I
1: don't think we've had a special
0: moment. <laughs> oh, my God. I just... Uh, we
1: will. I mean...
0: So,
2: so, you, so, that's, like, where it starts, right? Is, you know, you, you, you're seeing Ronnie Coleman in, in the magazines, you're following the the muscle and fitness... Routines, And I think with that, also going to places like Bev's and being exposed to sort of like, you know, the hardcore first, you know, people say like, well, don't go and follow Ronnie Coleman's routine. Don't do what he did. But to be exposed to that mentality, you know, now we're in a place where, you know, you're interviewing uh, PhDs, uh, you know, about exercise science and they're guiding our nutrition. And before it was the bodybuilders, we picked up Arnold's encyclopedia, which, you know, I still have. Um, so, but to start from that standpoint, I think really built a lot of like grit, you know, where it doesn't matter if it's, you know, hailing outside, it doesn't matter, you know, what the circumstances are around you, like you're going to make it happen. So weird things would happen in the process of like trying to stick to that, which looking back now from a scientific standpoint, we're crazy, but they built grit. So I can remember like dining for my first show. And uh, this was what year? What year was this? um, I would have been 18, uh, so I was born in '91.
1: Okay, I can't do the math, so
2: I just I just didn't know. 2009. (laughs) Okay, cool. Okay, so you know, even in the off season, right? It was still following like a, a strict meal plan, and I remember I had my wisdom teeth removed. And at that time, it's like, you know, salmon is not like a thing that you put in a, 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 a box in terms of like, okay, there's protein and it's got omega-3 fatty acids. It's like, no, salmon is magic and because it's written on your program. And brown rice is magic because it's written on your program. And like, you don't even think to deviate from it. It's not like, oh, I have a protein bar. Now it's like, you know, if it fits your macros, and, and I agree with a lot of that stuff, don't get me wrong. but. I had my wisdom teeth removed. The plan was like, you know, salmon brown rice. Cook the salmon brown rice, blended it warm. I still have a picture of it, you know, from heard, it's I've literally like the is, first one on my phone. And, you know, it's those kind of um, you know, those kind of experiences, right? Like the guy that was in here earlier was on the Iron Sports team, which is a team that I started in college for like bodybuilding, strongman, Adrian, powerlifting. Okay. Yeah. You know, we had some like professional strongmen come out of there, one guy that just competed uh, in the Arnold Classic. You know, so we had a lot of really successful people come out of there, but we also had a lot of guys and um, and girls that weren't necessarily bodybuilders or like aspiring, um, you know, professional athletes, but, you know, maybe they were like computer programmers or nowadays, like, you know, there's gym teachers. I'm thinking about all the weddings I'm going to now that I'm in my late 20s. And these guys are like all doing things completely unrelated to fitness, but the mentality that it built, right? Before we really had all the information, I, I can remember going in and having a whole workout that was like, we're gonna do a thousand pull-ups today, like between you know between the three of us. Like whatever, however long that takes, we're just gonna do it. And you do some stupid things that you know don't necessarily fit the science, but you learn how to be gritty. And I, and I think that was really like the beginnings And, you know, you just learn to sort of, like, find a way. Like, my first gym was a gym that, like, I made money from, like, mowing lawns. I put, you know, I cleaned out my basement. I painted my basement. You know, put a few pieces of equipment down there, trained down there. When that ran out, you know, went to the school gym, to the world gym, and then eventually to the gym, which actually had, um, you know, some pretty successful pro bodybuilders. Your Bob Ciccarello's, George Ferris, you know um, these guys that you know would sort of later introduce me to the competitive scene. Um, But it was just kind of like that one brick at a time, and then in laying those bricks, you eventually hit a point, or most people hit a point, unless you're just so gifted that that works forever. um, That something something goes wrong, or what you were doing before isn't working anymore and then that's now an opportunity to learn something and that's where you know kind of what i think we're here to talk about today is like okay now you need a new tool or you you know you need to approach it from a different angle And, you know, that's where I made the decision. Uh, In high school, like a lot of people, I started lifting for football. It was just like, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. And it's not uncommon for people to realize, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be a professional, you know, football player. So now you have these, like, crossroads, right? And it was like, well, I actually like lifting better than, you know, I like the sports themselves. Not too uncommon. And it was like, I I was fortunate because I was born, like, in an era where you could go to school for exercise science, which was like kind of a new thing. So, so it was like, I can make a career out of this. This is what I do for fun. Like, I'm just gonna go to school and have fun. And that's kind of been the story ever since. Like everything that I've done, it's because I thought it was gonna be fun. And like, I think this is gonna be fun, so that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny backing up to, you know, he talked about those gritty sessions and everyone's, it's it been there. Some of the most memorable days of your training life would be just going in there and just saying, we're just gonna squat today. Or just, you know, the next you know, you're 90 minutes in and who knows how many reps you've done. But that, I mean, even though looking back on that, you know, you could say, because everyone's, you know, everyone's a scientist now in the fitness industry. They all want to, you know, it's science. I'm like, according to who? Some social media goof. Like, let's face it. Like, there's plenty of research that you've read over the last decade that might be obsolete now. Or maybe they found a better way to do things. And, you know, you can't devalue. I mean, we all want to sound like we're scientists and we all want to sound like we're these we're this expert. But listen. Dorian Yates did a pretty damn good job. Ronnie Coleman did a pretty damn good job. Uh, Flex Wheeler, all these guys, you know, there's looking at their training now. Could you say, are there better, are there smarter ways to do things? Yes, but you said something to me four years ago. You don't remember saying this, but you're like, it's your job to go and create tension. Like you're in there trying to put tension on the body to be able to stimulate what you need to stimulate. And for a young guy, lots of young guys are more concerned with moving mass amounts of weight. He is strong as hell. I remember you picking up five hundred and fifteen pounds without warming up off the floor with, with Connor that day when we were at the gym. And you just yanked it no problem off the floor. And you're like, Oh, I haven't deadlifted in a while. I'm like, You didn't even warm up. You just pulled Connor's Max, which for Connors, you know, probably Connor can pull some weight. But um, you know, this is someone that yeah, I'm, I'm interested to get into his insight a little bit on how your training has changed since those days. What is it like going back and saying, you know, what, what, what you did, what was good about what you were doing and where has it really evolved? I really want to just dive right into that
1: now. Yeah, and another thing is, um, like, what, what was the point that made you, like, come to that conclusion? Like, was there, like, some epiphany or was it, like, something somebody's? you know what I mean? Like, that, I think that's, I think that's important, too.
2: So there was one moment where I had to make a decision, like, do I want to try to play football in college or do I want to go and pursue exercise science? And it was simply because the best school in the country for exercise science, you know, to my knowledge, was Springfield College, because that's kind of what that's what they do. They were a YMCA and now they're a four year university. Typically, if you go there, you're going for something related to, you know, the physical therapy, exercise science, like, you know, that kind of field. Um, and that was a Division three school. And, you know, if I was going to do something, like, I wanted to try to do it at the highest level. So I do remember actually sitting down with a piece of paper, like, lying down the middle, football, you know, uh, exercise science. Like, I remember that that was a distinct moment, um, you know, and I made that decision. I only applied to Springfield College, early decision. Technically, if I didn't get in, like, I wouldn't have gone to school, but I wasn't too worried about it. Um, so... You know that that I knew exactly where I wanted to go and um, yeah as far as the decision to sort of there's no particular decision to make like a more scientific approach it's simply just like a need Yeah.
1: yeah well what I meant was like you know you talked about it before did you hit that plateau or was there something that somebody said that kind of made you realize like I gotta I gotta make a change here like this is not working for me anymore like what I'm doing needs to evolve yeah. Um, just something like, like, did something like that happen?
2: You know, the thing about, you know, uh, bodybuilding or just trying to create any kind of physiological change, they tend to be low and slow processes. They take a long time. So, you know, some people will say like, oh, you know, I changed this exercise and like my pecs grew more. I'm like, what? Do you, no, you didn't. Like, what do you? You looked in the mirror, like you did a set and then it was like better. It doesn't make any sense. So a lot of these things are tough to analyze, like on a moment by moment basis, you know, even the, the the smartest sort of like most well equipped uh, equipped researchers cannot really measure muscle growth on you know an acute scale very well. Um, but you know when you en- when you enjoy it and you learn that there might be a better way to do something, you just sort of analyze it in a very objective way. And and I think it's just enjoying that process of learning. Like it's very difficult to say you know you got to a point where just like absolutely nothing was happening because everything is sort of happening like in a contiguous manner you know there's so many things you know there's so much interplay not just like with your training but also just with your lifestyle like your environment your psychology and all this stuff is playing on each other like your you know physiology affects your psychology and and vice versa so there's so much interplay I, i think we give too much credit sometimes to you know our um Ability to to really define like what made the change there, but it's just that like pursuit of excellence where you're always just trying to do things a little bit better, and you know you can look back sometimes retrospectively and say like yeah you know we can generally see a trend in the right direction, so something's going well. Training, how has it evolved,
0: or or, and and when I say that, is it um. What's the biggest change that's happened in your training over the last five years, say?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say going back to like the idea of biology being a very like low and slow, long process it's thinking about it that way and that's part of just being an adult like being more mature is you step back and you set a long-term plan and you stick to that plan so i'm sure uh, you know i I don't remember back to like when what we did exactly on that day we went to bev's but my guess is like we showed up we're like that looks like a cool machine let's hit that really hard and you know I'm still like down to do that every once in a while because you know it just kind of brings me back to the roots and it, it, it's great you know great way to like you said kind of spar and meet new people, um, but now it's really thinking about okay we have this like you know this two year goal this ten year goal and like how do we work backwards from there, to sort of get to this finite thing so maybe we're doing this exercise we're doing the set rep tempo scheme, but all of that feeds onto this later thing and it's it used to be like okay we show up to the gym and the goal is to have the best session today and that's still there but within the confines of where we want to go so it's much more looking at like the you know long-term projection and how these little things are going to add up than just trying to run at the wall every day and I think you're young when you're younger and, and I'm still younger but yeah. like y- when you have more room to progress you can get away with that a little bit more and I think you know part of the reason why I you know Matt Connor was because I got beat up. I had a lot of injuries. So a big part of my learning pro- process, like a big problem that I had to solve, was how to not get injured. And that led me down a lot of rabbit holes as well. That's what I, that's what I find a, a big problem with a lot
0: of these trainees are that they're coming in and it's... It really is about what are they doing on that given day. And, and you might disagree. And please, we, we always disagree with each other. But um, there's so much. I don't even know if the right word's variability from session to session or maybe from one workout to a repeating workout. But if they're trying to bring out a specific body part, and they're always mixing it up. I always find that they're never able to adapt. Because yeah, in the beginning with these newbies, there's going to be some adaptation going on. But because they're never actually spending time understanding what they're doing and why they're doing it, and they don't have a goal in mind, um, they can't improve at at the level that I think the body has the potential to to improve at. And if you're always mixing things up, yeah, you know what? General fitness for most people coming into your Equinox who don't have a goal and they're just like, I just want to break a sweat, look better naked, and be in great shape. Then all right, man, go have fun and just you know make sure that you're you're warming up the right way and that you, your body's feeling good and. You know, see you tomorrow type of thing. But someone like you, very few people on the planet have a plan that's as definitive as yours. Like you have a plan to turn around and say that by 2021 – you want to weigh 300 pounds with 15% body fat on a DEXA skin. Yeah. That's pretty specific. Right. Most people would be like, I got to get, most bodybuilders that you speak to, no, no offense to the guys at Pepsi, they'd be like, you yeah, know, we're going to work on getting to 300 pounds from 265. i got going to get like, bigger. Well, yeah, at what rate? Like, I know for a fact, and we haven't spoken in years, that you probably know how much weight you need to gain either weekly or monthly. You know, you know how much calories are coming in. You know exactly what needs to go into your body Supplement from a
2: supplement standpoint. You probably laid everything out, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and all like biology is redundant, and it, it plays out in the rest of life as well. So, when when you talk about you know people coming in and having a lot of variability, the first thing that comes to my mind is a child. Like a child exp- is exploring the world, and school works this way. Like school, you get a wide base of knowledge, and then eventually. You know, you go on to get a PhD and you focus on this very finite thing. Like as a child, again, you sort of explore the world, you're figuring out what you like, you know, what's safe, what's not safe, and then you become more specific. You have a role in society. You know, all of our jobs work this way. Like you become more and more specific. There's not just one muscle and fitness person, like there's an editor in chief, right? So we all have these roles. And if you want to be really good at something, like you have to move from that variability to specificity. So that's kind of the path there. If you you know want to become an expert in anything, you have to become specific. And specific, by definition, is repetition of the same thing, right? You wouldn't get faster at the 100 meters by practicing cartwheels. Like, you just go out and run every day. So, you know, like, it's the same thing exercise-wise. Like, find the exercises that are going to work for you. And you can have a little bit of variety. But, you know, variety is not what drives you forward. You only need the variety... That's necessary to sort of not um, get sick or die, and that sounds like very broad. But
1: so, how long then would you suggest somebody does it? So they narrow it down. I mean, it, it, I know it's going to vary person to person. So maybe just you could use yourself as an example. Um, you narrow it down in terms of exercise, right? So, how long are you going to be doing that specific thing until you have to, until you want to change it or you need to change it?
2: yeah so i I guess like you said it's a need to change it kind of thing but the way that i choose exercises is based on the goal of what i'm trying to accomplish so obviously we know that like different exercises train different muscles but they also overload that muscle in a different position Right. We could talk about like the different fibers of a particular muscle, like a pack's going to have clavicular fibers and sternal fibers and costal fibers. And you could focus a little bit more on one of those, depending on how advanced you are. But you could also overload it in, you know, a more lengthened or shortened position. And based on the decisions that you make there, the sets, reps, rest periods, tempos that you use, it drives a particular stimulus. So if you wanted to be a marathon runner, like you're still using the same muscles, you know, that you would be as a bodybuilder and to some degree, but the duration that you do it for, the intensity that you do it for, those are the factors that now make things more specific. So for me, it's like, what goes into this goal? You're like, okay, so you want to be 300 pounds, you know, at 15% body fat. Okay, so you don't, do you, the 15% body fat dictates that your goal is not to get to a fat 300 pounds so you need to gain muscle and then from there you would ask well how do you gain muscle like what's the process for that what goes into that and from there I'm breaking it down into components and I'm saying well you're going to you know have some type of like you know we we said tension before I'll just break into the categories Mm -hmm. and not go specifically into training sure but you have training like you have nutrition Uh, You have sort of like your sleep and recovery aspects. You have like your internal body chemistry, like your internal physiology, which you can measure and manipulate. And then you have your environment. That's, you know, the gym that you train at, your psychology, like, Do you listen to music and get amped up when you train? Like all this stuff, you know, affects the way that you see the world and and deal with stressors. So I break it down to those components. I say, like, here's the timeline we want to do it in. And now what are our constraints? So if we got down to the level of training, we would want, you know, all those components to support that training. So, you know, an example might be like I work at this gym Hype and I purchased equipment there uh, that's Kaiser equipment and Kaiser is air resistance, pneumatic equipment. And that's going to overload a muscle a little bit differently than, say, iron would because it has the constraints of gravity and we can go into all that sort of stuff. But that might be more advantageous in one phase than, say, the iron would be and you know based on what i'm trying to accomplish in that phase i might choose a particular exercise for that goal however on a macro level let's just make it simple and say that was a year long plan the next time you come back and you go to hit that same stimulus you repeat the same thing so that it's measurable over time so for example just to you know make things a little bit more concrete like the major driver of uh muscle hypertrophy from a training standpoint if we went into that first category um is just going to be volume of tension or mechanical mechanotransduction, transduction um and m- the way that's typically measured uh you know in research is to simplify it's just total sets that's usually the like sets per body part you know and uh when you say volume of tension there's a lot that goes into that as far as like the type of exercise you're using and it, it can get you can definitely go down a rabbit hole but just to simplify it like sets times uh you know basically the amount of load that you're using so how many sets are you using are you getting stronger over time like that's there are intricacies to like what's happening on a cellular level and how you can manipulate that with different resistance profiles and stuff like that mm-hmm. but for the most part like you, if you get stronger over time that number goes up and if you do more sets over time that goes up so for example you know again referring to ronnie on the wall over there if you take, you know, the Mr. Olympias from like the past uh, 30 or so years, we'll go back to like Lee Haney, you can create two categories. We'll call one like total sets per week, and another one like total strength. And it's like, well, how do you quantify strength? Like. Who's stronger, Ronnie Coleman or like Dexter Jackson? Like, you know it when you see it. It, it doesn't have to be scientific, but you know strength, yeah. right? Like, again, we, we can get into into the weeds as much as we want, but you, you know strength when you see it. You know which guy's stronger. And what you end up with is this amalgam of total volume. Again, in research, they usually just categorize volume as total sets per body part, But you really also have to include load in there. Because what most bodybuilders have traditionally done is their program hasn't changed much. You can go online, type in Ronnie Coleman program, go watch, like, you know, cost of redemption, and it's pretty accurate. You know, he didn't change it dramatically over time, but what he did do is progressive overload. So by adding load to the bar, that number goes up. Mm -hmm. You know, total sets, total load used, total volume goes up, right? Now, a lot of people are turning to like increasing sets because they're thinking like, "All right, you know by trying to increase load all the time, there comes a cost to that. You know One is there's a short runway where you can inc- once you get to the uh, sort of advanced level. You can't just linearly sure. put load Can on the bar forever. The show, right. And the other one is, you know, that Ronnie's a perfect example, there's the injury risk to it. So another vector, you know, to increase volume of tension, which is the primary stimulus, and there's some other ones too, uh, to increase hypertrophy, um, is to increase sets. So you have these two vectors, and when you line up all these bodybuilds, uh, you know, like let's just say Mr. Olympia competitors from the last 30 years, you find when you take that number, let's just say, you know, Put Ronnie Coleman on the scale, you know, one through seven on those last Mr. Olympias, he's probably the strongest guy on there. He I is the say. strongest guy on there. I would say. You know, well, you My got, question wasn't whether he's the strongest. Who is the second strongest? You got Phil Heath. Uh, before Phil H- Heath, you have Dexter Jackson. You have Jay Cutler. Jay Culley, yeah. Before uh, Jay Cutler was Ronnie. Before uh, Ronnie, um, you, you Dorian. had Dorian. Before Dorian, you had Lee Haney. Lee Haney right so what you find well, Franco Colombo was up there he was an Olympic he was strong yeah he well went. I didn't go back that far in my head I, was, I, was, I just uh, stopped at Lee Haney yeah, you know, I, I don't want it. to get embarrassed for getting some of the guys <laughs> I love it but what what you find is you know a guy like Dorian trained not, with not a lot of sets however his strength was pretty freaking high so that kind of moves him up on the list you're like alright Dorian Yates like total number of sets last place total strength you know second place, third place, whatever. You end up with this total number that's like nine. You put these guys in order. And what you kind of find is the person who did the most total work got the best results. Right. And then you have to ask like, well, how do you do more work? Because everyone just wants to do more work of whatever their specific craft is. So again, moving from that child or that you know person in grade school to the Um, you know, professional athlete or, you know, the executive director, like if you're a sprinter, your question is how many, you know, above 95%, you know, 100 meter sprints can I get in, in a year? And what sort of things go into that? Well, you're training the same muscles over and over again. So maybe you need, maybe glycogen repletion is important. Um, If that's important, then insulin sensitivity is important creatine uh synthase is going to be important so you know you st- once you figure out what your need is and in this case the need is more volume of tension then you can start to create an analysis of like okay what components drive that right right it's interesting though how you know
0: when i said earlier you know it all works it does to an extent but yes um high volume training works um High frequency training can work, like maybe cutting the volume back and training more frequently. But because during, it is more
2: volume. Yeah. It, because if exactly. you go high frequency, you're just spreading. Out, it's just a way to spread out the volume. And if you go heavier, it's a way to accumulate volume. That's worked yeah. a
0: lot better on me. I think over the last year or so. I mean, I'm 42 now, and you know, I've I've really tried to become a student to just just, just, just like you have. But I've noticed that in the past, say 15 years ago, when I was doing those one workout, you know, one body part a week crushing it with high volume yeah you're sore as hell yes you know the response i was getting from the workout i was enjoying very masochistic right but like over over time i was just thinking to myself well wait a second you know i'm practicing something four days a week and granted certain lifts the squat the deadlift there's carryover and people don't think about that either it's like all right i got a bar on my back or i'm front squatting weight or i'm pulling weight off the floor like that's a back day right there that's a chest day exactly there's a lot going on but what i really found out was my body started responding a lot better To reducing some volume and hitting things more frequently during the week, why is that? Maybe I I I don't know. Maybe because I'm, you know, I've always been natty. Maybe because uh, of my activity level. Maybe just the way that I that I run myself. I mean, there's so many different variables. What's your what's your opinion on that? Yeah,
2: I mean, the research seems pretty clear that like at least two times a week is the best way to go. You know, you're typically in that two to three times a week. I don't I don't think that. Necessarily, I mean, obviously, they're not going to do studies in like drug-using bodybuilders, but like I, I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't apply to them as well. Why are a lot of people still doing that once a week then?
0: That's my question because I, I mean, what you just well, said is uh, almost like it's almost like old news. Yeah, he's still going to
2: it, specific I gyms. a, and a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, one when you get to and and Ronnie Coleman actually trained everything twice a week so he had a schedule that was kind of like a push pull lower push pull lower like rest that. so actually he's very high on this number of sets yeah and he's very high on the number uh, on strength and like you said you know bef- before we started filming like uh, no one's been bigger than him yet. No one's beat that score. You know, maybe that's his, his genetics and, you know, like, the environment that he trained in, again, you know, go through all, all those things, like, that led to him being able to recover from that. Just his mentality. Even when you see him now with injury, like, he's calm and cool. Yeah. So he's able to really reduce his, like, perception of threat in many ways, where all the time he's pretty cool. You, you see that with a lot of bodybuilders. But I do think one thing is Once you get to a certain level of strength, you can just do so much more damage to yourself. So, like, you know, if you're driving a a Honda Civic around and you know, you crash in, you know, to a stop sign at 20 miles an hour, it's like not a big, not a huge deal. But, you know, you you take a a Formula One car out, you know, you drive at 200 miles an hour and you hit a wall and, you know, you're on fire. So, that's the thing is like the bigger you get, the more stress you can induce on yourself. The more you take your foot off the brake. And, you know, that's why a lot of you like these group classes and things where they don't necessarily have like the, the best approach to fitness. They can get away with a lot of sloppy form because you're just driving a scooter around like it's just really hard to hurt yourself on a scooter like it can be done, you know, but for the most part, like you just don't have the horsepower to hurt yourself. So I think when these guys get really big, they can do so much work in that session now. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be advantageous for them to spread it out a little bit more, um, but I think that you could certainly get away with it. And, and also, again, like the mentality that it takes, you know, to be good in, in, in any sport and, you know, sort of every sport almost has like its own sort of psychological profile. But I think the psychological profile that comes along with bodybuilding sometimes just lends itself to that like masochistic nature. And it's very much a part of who we are. Like we wanna suffer, you know, passion itself means suffering. So we enjoy the suffering because we've linked it with this like future reward. And that's what we can do as humans. Like my dog isn't sitting there like thinking about the future reward it's gonna get from being Jack, but we create this like, you know, this vision in our mind of something and we, Begin to associate. Very early on, we associated that pain with some kind of reward, and we just hit that cycle over and over again. And I think people, in many ways, are afraid to let go of that feeling because it's so strongly associated with the rewards that they've been receiving their whole life. Can you, did you have something uh, to yeah? Go, take it. I just
1: feel like we talked earlier that you know this is a direction a lot of bodybuilders are going, and I feel like. I got to edit that. I feel like not as many people are taking it to this extent. I think I think that this is like this is very everything you're doing is meticulously planned. Like I don't think it's that way yet in terms of that industry at all. I mean, and you tell me you you're the one that's that's around uh those folks more often like but when you're talking to them about approaches and you're talking to them about like your prep, uh how different is yours to a lot of the other people you speak with
2: i'm smiling because like i don't really know anybody i don't i don't really talk to bodybuilders that but, much but
1: not at shows don't you? i don't a, see
2: them like i don't know what they do i don't know what they think about like
1: but you don't talk to them at shows are you just sure a,
2: like yeah nice packs bro you know like <laughs> I, I don't compete that often right so like i'm very much in the process now of like again coming back to sprinting like you know you're not going to go into the olympics with 11 second 100 meter dash you're just not ready yet so the the reason my goal is what it is, is because I know the size that I need to be to be competitive at the next level. And for me to continue dieting down, just to, you know, look lean all the time takes away from that long term goal. So yeah, like, you know, you had some pictures of me competing, like as a teenager, literally, the next time I competed, was, like, eight years later. That's the guy so, I was
1: expecting to walk into, by the yeah, way. I thought a surprise. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, You know, so the next jump is not that far away, right? So if I competed in 19 and I'm looking to be compete again in two years, like, those gaps get smaller and smaller because, again, specificity. Um, but, yeah, honestly, like, the people – I spent enough time in the bodybuilding world early on. I watched – like I had a Netflix subscription when they used to just mail the DVDs, the DVDs out, yeah. and I watched all of the Battle for the Olympias. Which, man, I I don't even think I could watch those now. Like they're they're boring. Like they're really boring. Like you have to be kind of a psychopath to be into that. I like I I actually enjoy the Olympia. I mean
0: I. I... I, I enjoy going to some of the pre-judging and I think the, uh, the finals is a little long and I think, it, you know, it can get a little redundant with, you know, watching guys continually come out and the next thing you know, you're, you're there a few hours, but I don't know. There's something... I just had good memories... When i was a lot younger you know i think i I saw ronnie win three or four times i thought i saw cutler win once one of my best friends who passed away him and i went to our first uh, first olympia with him so i always have a good memory of like the olympia weekend and the expo and it was just something funny i I, we have to ask you this question because people are going to be very curious so you're obviously very intelligent at what you do you obviously put a lot of thought process behind your type of training um But what does a training split look like? What does your diet look like? Yeah, Mm -hmm. let's start with training split, because I know that's if you're able to discuss. Yeah,
2: totally, totally. Let me think what the best place to start is. I mean, you know, I'll go a little bit more micro because I I think I'm kind of like living out here a lot. And and so just looking at it on a a week type basis, um, it's like an upper body push, upper body pull, lower body, um, then typically a day off and then rinse and repeat. Um, so closer to what Ronnie was doing, be very yeah. yeah similar, but with a little bit more of a context of. What goes into those days and why? So Ron, it, Ronnie, for example, had like a, a back thickness day and a back width day, and he, there's like some like great quotes that like Ronnie was almost right about a lot of things but didn't know it. Like my favorite Ronnie Coleman quote is: someone asked him the same question, like Ronnie, you know, describe your training to us, and he said, "Well, uh, you know, as heavy as possible." as many reps as possible. And that was the (laughs) whole answer. And he's so right. Like, it's totally true. Um, You know, so same thing. He had sort of like a back thickness day at a back... I don't know what that means. Yeah. But I can tell you that there are like different compartments, you know, to the lat. Like, there are different fibers that run in different directions. And... Coincidentally, like doing some horizontal stuff and some vertical stuff, which was his sort of plan, like his width day was a lot of vertical pulling and his thickness day was a lot of horizontal pulling. So, you know, I don't break it up necessarily horizontal vertical. Like it's a a little bit more more complex than that. But I do have like an A day, a B day, a C day. A day off, and then an A1 day, an A2 day, and a three day. So I do hit things. If you look at it, what you would see is I hit something every four days. So it's it's three on, one off. So it's not quite twice a week. Um, But also because, again, of sort of like my psychology, I like to train to failure. So, you know, I can train, I can hit something like every three days, but four days tends to be a pretty good sweet spot for me because that's just how I like to train. Um, so it ends up being pretty high volume and relatively high intensity, but uh, intensity in, in sort of like a... Um, In exercise science terms usually means percentage of one rep max. Like if you're actually talking in exercise science terms, intensity is is merely just like, you know, how close you are to your one RM. In this context, what I mean is really RPE or like how close you are to failure. I tend to train pretty close to failure because that's what I like to do. Um, But yeah, so you have an A1, A2, or sorry, A, B, C day, A1 day, A2 day. Or sorry, a a one, b one. How do How do you? How do you ve- what are you varying up
0: from the, from the a to the a one? Yeah, how is that looking different?
2: Yeah, so for example, like on the first a day, let's say, let's take an easy example and say like lower body, right? I might focus a little bit more on like a hamstring, glute dominant focus on one of those days and more of a quad dominant focus on the other one of those days, but they still have components of each. Yeah, sure. And then I'll also change where things are overloaded. So for example, like take a squat. Like what's harder, the top of a squat or a bottom of a squat? Like the bottom of the okay. squat, right? So that that's the hardest point of the squat. So your quads are overloaded in a stretched or lengthened position. And because of that it's a stimulus that lends itself, you know, to uh, a little bit more damage you're going to tend to be more sore after something like that um, and then you could take like a leg extension for example that's going to be hardest at the top that's going to overload you in like a short position throwing a band on something might make it a little bit more overloaded in that's that top. position right. so i'm using different exercises different machines to change where something is overloaded and which muscles so, you, it's so, you, so you're really trying to manipulate where you're feeling tension on the muscle Not just feeling, but I it's like I'm not going by feeling like I know what I'm doing, meaning like I didn't just go in there and say, oh, I could feel this. And like my vastus medialis, it was like, oh, we know based on like uh, biomechanics and anatomy that this is what this hits. Like there is a degree to like, yeah, there's sort of the mind muscle connection. But there's also just like, you know, if you're in a preacher curl and you flex your elbow your bicep's going to be trained because that's what a bicep does so we talk about that for a second
0: zach and and this is this is interesting because what do you say to someone who says well i don't feel it in that area i mean what is your what is your what is your thought process naturally the biceps flexing yeah it's going to supinate yeah right it's In my opinion, the bicep's working. Well, a big complaint I hear is when someone's doing like a pull-up or a lat pull-down. Like, I feel it in my arms, and that's normally by some newbie who doesn't have that type of connection. What type of advice are you giving to someone like that? Because a lot of the viewers are going
2: to want to know that. Yeah, I mean, definitely form advice. Like, in some things, you're just not going to see that. Like, if you put someone in a machine, and the only thing you can do is pretty much isolate that the exact motion that that muscle is intended to do, you know, obviously there's gonna be, uh, you're never really perfectly isolating one muscle, but very few people are going to get in a preacher curl. And if I overload it even shorter, like say put a band on it or something, and it's really tough in that short position, like, I don't know, everyone's gonna feel their bicep in that position. So that's one of those things where like, you don't have to coach so much, where if a lat pull down, for example, like the lats are crossing, you know, multiple joints. You know, so you have to deal like with your humerus, but you also have to deal with the position of like your spine and your pelvis and how all that stuff is interacting. You know, so there's a lot more complexity to that, and that takes some degree of coaching to get right. And I could totally see people, you know, say feeling their arms more, you know, in a lat pull down. Now, granted, like the lats are still going to work, um, but for sure not as advantageous as they could be if you did the correct thing, like with your humeral position.
1: What what's the last workout you did? Do you remember it?
2: Yeah. Uh, so today's Wednesday. Today was actually that recovery day, which actually might be kind of interesting in itself.
1: Um, no, uh, let me get the last one first because yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like people want to know what it is you're doing, okay. and then definitely please talk about. The okay. So the
2: last program. workout would have been like a pulling day. Okay. And <clears throat> so this was all was mostly on Kaiser equipment. OK, so this kind of complicates it a little bit more. But the Kaiser equipment is pneumatic uh, resistance, which means it's air resistance. Um, there's some nuances to what you get out of air resistance. Like, first of all, iron resistance it has mass to it and it, it interacts with gravity. Like the reason it's heavy is because gravity is pushing down it at 9, 9.8 meters per second um, with air resistance. You're not subject to that anymore, so that changes things a little bit. Um, the one of the things that it changes is that you can't create momentum. So if you take something with mass to it and you create some degree of like acceleration, right, it's gonna float, right? So with that's only because you're creating enough acceleration where it's overcoming gravity. Okay, so take a bench press, for example. We said, just like the squat, the bench press is hardest at the bottom, okay? And you're doing the most work at the bottom. Now, let's say I just give Don like, you know, 25s on each side, and Don's a pretty strong guy. And I say, Don, I want you to move this thing like you move 400 pounds, right? He's gonna explode off his chest. If he lets go of the bar, it keeps going. So he has two choices. Either he can let go of the bar and hope for the best, or he's decelerating as he's coming up so he's doing all the work at the bottom and then the rest of the way he's decelerating the only time that doesn't happen is when it's a max effort and you're trying to accelerate it all the way through okay but if it's less than that you're, you're doing the most work at the bottom and then you're decelerating uh, with air resistance it doesn't work that way Uh, there's almost no mass, or you can create a situation where there's almost no mass, like in a machine where the arms are, say, weightless or a pound or two. So as soon as you add air resistance to that, um, you can't actually create momentum. You cannot throw the bar off your chest. It's always pushing back against you the way a gravitational force would push back against you. So one of the benefits to that is uh, reduction in injury risk because the point where you're the weakest oftentimes is also the point where there's the most resistance um you know so you're trying to create this like acceleration force you know your joints might be in a compromised position let's even say like a leg extension for example um you know you try to accelerate it out of the bottom you know create some shear forces there. a lot of that's necessary but you know just that initial momentum and then the deceleration, you know, creates some, some joint stresses that could be advantageous to avoid. Now I still use iron, but there's times where I would want to use air in particular. Um, So with that being said, like the first exercise we did was a row for the lats on a piece of Kaiser equipment that was like a low row and the low row, what it does is it sort of like drives your elbows down. So if I really want to hit the lats um, and in in this case, again, you have like multiple fibers going in multiple directions and we we would set up exercises that sort of would train like a more horizontal or vertically oriented fiber. And in this one, I'm going to lean forward into the machine. I'm going to focus on driving my elbows down and a little bit in. Um, And, you know, that that's our first exercise. We were doing, uh, I think, five sets that went like eight six six four something like that the idea is basically like you have an opportunity to hit failure multiple times so you maybe you do your first set of eight at a 100 pounds you know that's like eight or nine out of ten your second set of eight you know could be a 10 out of 10 at 110 pounds and then just kind of repeat that process throughout it also gives you an opportunity again to add sets like week by week Um, It just gives you some opportunities. Again, we're looking for this like long-term process of accumulating volume. So I want as many opportunities over as long a period as time to make increases in volume without ever getting to the place where like, you know, I can't load anymore. So a lot of times people have very short phases, let's say like three weeks and then they deload because they get to the point where they're like, oh, I can't put any more weight on the bar. And it's like, great, you just did, you know, a three-week hypertrophy block but hypertrophy is a very long process and if you just did three weeks and then you go out of it nothing happened like you're literally just starting to create like the underlying cellular adaptations and like machinery that you need to you know ultimately manifest that process so you need to create a plan where you have room to progress so anyway we would go from um, that row the next thing Um, And in that row, actually, we did um, like a quarter rep in the beginning. So the lats are pretty strong, like in a lengthened position, but most machines overload the short position. Think dumbbell row. Mm -hmm. Dumbbell row is hardest at the top, but you're strongest at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So with this particular piece of equipment, it's very much overloaded in the short position. You're weakest there. I want to overload the lengthened fibers. Um, So, or I want to overload the fibers in a lengthened position. So I'm doing part, I'm doing like a quarter rep and then a full rep, quarter rep, full rep. Um, Went to like a high row after that, a lat pull down. The stuff is all in the Kaiser. It all has nuances to, you know, what we'd want to do with the form. Um, By the time we got to the lat pull down, that was paired with uh, a bicep supinating, bicep curl, a little bit more overloaded on the inside. I have these little incremental plates I can put on the inside. Biceps are mainly supinators. Um, You know, like they're kind of stabilizing your arm like in humeral flexion. Um, They do flex the elbow. um, But in that like, you know, bottom position when your elbow is extended, a lot of that's going to be like brachialis. So a lot of what biceps do is is supinate. Like you can curl pretty well even if you have a detached bicep. Um, So we overload the inside, supinate there. Again, we use the Kaiser equipment to do, like, a more neutral grip curl that was overloaded in a lengthened position, which hits, like, the brachialis more. So that's kind of, like, how I'm splitting it up. And the other day, uh, I'm actually at a different gym, and I'm using mostly iron equipment and, again, sort of different resistance profiles. So the first thing is, like, a a vertical pulling movement movement um and that one is kind of overloaded in a mid to short range and you know you're just kind of making a list of like these are these are the positions these are the muscles we want to train these are the positions that we need to train them in this is the total sort of volume that we need and then you just fill it in and what the more you learn the more you understand like here's the big categories and then here's the tools we have within these categories when you first start off like you might not even realize that like tempo is a thing or you might not realize that like strength profile resistance profile are a thing so but you know it's good because like you don't really need to do that stuff and like most of my clients like i'm conscious of that but you know they're averaging maybe two three times a week Mm -hmm. So that's not my main priority. I have a very different mentality when I'm thinking about that population. And some people listen to this and be very overwhelmed. And it's much more about, like, what's the next step in front of you? Like, you have this whole staircase. Like, I wouldn't necessarily put this all on someone on day one, but you just need to find the next step in front of you. And that's great because you'll make a lot of progress with that step and then climb to the next step after that. But I think it's really knowing, like, what are the – the, the big time buckets to fill. And then the more you learn, you start to learn, man, there's like even more finite stuff within this bucket. And it's the same for everything. Like you get down to like you know, we constantly find smaller and smaller things within the cell. You know, we, we get down to the, the level of the cell and and then you're like, okay, you know, we have, you know, organelles within the cell. And then, you know, these things are made up of constituent parts. are made up of electrons and protons. And these electrons and protons are made up of quarks eventually. And it just gets smaller and smaller. And, like, eventually we find the next smaller thing. And then in the other direction we find the next biggest thing. So we're just constantly expanding the same way, you know, the universe is. So that's what's happening knowledge-wise. And you just have more and more sort of, like, buckets to play with. And I, and I think that's really fun because what happens is they don't use, they, they usually are pretty succinct with what you knew before. Like, it's very rare that you like, you know, you come across a supplement and you're like, this doesn't work along any of the lines of everything else that I knew previously. Like it tends to be, you get to a point and you're just like, this fits in with everything I knew to this right. point or yeah. you meet someone and you're just like, the way this person is talking jives with everything on my most basic levels of understanding of physiology, and if it doesn't, you immediately have a red flag, and it's really easy to decipher who you want to listen to. That's a good way of putting it. Before we, it's um, fun
0: to hear about his recovery. Real yeah, quick. that's, what that's I cool. It. Yeah, yeah, like definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then I okay. have one quick question, and then oh. we'll wrap. What is it? You go first. Oh, okay. the, the the recovery day, your your Wednesday, which was today.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'll just briefly say again, not getting too much into the sure, weeds, but sure. typically recovery is a much bigger picture. Like there's a lot of components that go into that that you know come down to like your perception of threat in the environment. But as far as what I did today. It, it, it i went to the pool i did a pool workout and you know i think of like um space jam like daffy ducks got this like floaty on that's that's me and it's basically me and a bunch of you know like there's like eight year old women in the pool and I'm, I'm in like the what they call i think like the recreational area or something like that it's basically like women doing like water aerobics around me and and, and guys too and um so I'll get in the deep end, I'll float for a little bit, and I'll, like, I'll run with the like, aqua jogger belt mm-hmm. on, do something that kind of looks like a dynamic warmup. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm thinking there is I'm looking at it from a, um, an aerobic standpoint, one, um, without really having the, uh, the forces of any kind of like ground impact. So I'm getting the aerobic component from the heart in two ways, Like one, just I'm moving there with very little impact but two, the compressive forces of the water are actually, the the heart's pumping against that and they're sending them back up to the heart and the heart gets a nice like pre-fill from that, sort of like a jellyfish, right? And when I think about opposing sort of what I'm doing from a resistance training standpoint or trying to create some variability, right? It's like we said before, we want specificity, but too much specificity is death, Mm -hmm. it's stagnation. So you want to stay you want as much specificity as you can possibly get without consequences that are too great. So you know if you want to be 300 pounds, like what's one consequence you might have, like maybe your cardiovascular system. So what can you do that will take away the least from your resistance training goals? and allow you to improve that component. So the pool was one of those things. And again, like even just think about people wear the like Normatec compression gear. Yeah. Same kind of deal. You got that compression that's sending the blood back, back up to the heart. I How long it. were you in the pool for? Uh, that takes about 30 minutes, like 30, 40 minutes.
1: Get pruny. You got to get out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was pouring yeah. out. I'm like pruney right <laughs> no, now. No, just <laughs> so
2: and, okay, uh, 30 minutes. So
1: that, that's the beginning. So that's the just, beginning. Okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, literally like, It probably starts when I wake up, but, you know, we don't have the time for that. But um, just in this component, like before I came over here, um, the sauna was next. I do two, like, 20-minute bouts in there. Um, when you there's really good, like long-term research, you know, 30, 40 year studies um, that show that the sauna improves cardiovascular health. Uh, very similar to the way aerobic exercise does. A lot of the mechanisms are, are, are very, very similar. So I look at that as uh, another way that's low impact cardiovascular fitness. Um, why why the two twenty? So you do twenty minute bout, Do you do like a
0: cold plunge or do you co- cold shower? I do in the cool bagging? off a little yeah. bit,
2: not so much because of the benefits of like the cold, right. but I'm just trying to cool off. And How I much wanted time to do you spend out of it? So you go twenty
0: on about what, five, five ten off, minutes. Yeah, as long as,
2: literally as long as I need. I'm just trying to accumulate the most total time. So what I'm looking for is you know again, it's like every four days, right? right? And if, if you look at the research, there's a pretty linear like dose-response curve to like the frequency and exposure of, of people like going in the sauna to the uh, decrease in mortality and decrease in like adverse cardiovascular events. So that's what I'm looking at there. And You know, not to mention, like when I get in that sauna, I I remember Will Smith being interviewed and he was saying, you know, when I get on the treadmill and there's a guy next to me, like there's two things that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get in that sauna, there's people coming in and out. And, you know, there was times when there was no clock and there's, there's certain places where there's no clock. And I just think, okay, I wait for like four or five people to leave. And then someone sits down and you just think like this you know this guy's got like you know he looks like he runs tough mutters he's got the yeah, watch yeah, on like he, he's, he's he's like your your typical kind of like self-quantified guy and i'm like i'm not leaving before this guy leaves like i don't right, care what happens game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you kind of so it, it, it is that you know cardiovascular component but i've also learned there's a medi- meditative component to it as well and it comes back to you know when you're in training and you're dealing with that discomfort, and, and part of that discomfort is heat stress. Right. Um, so you are also in, in training sort of that grip, but I mainly look at it from you know, a cardiovascular component and just sweating by itself. Like obviously we're sweating during training, but sweating itself has benefits unto itself. I love it.
0: Um, last question, because I could sit here and talk to him for I don't know how much time, but we're, I know we're about to exceed. Could you break down for us really quickly, and this is gonna be you know, more of the thousand foot view, but for you to get the 300 pounds right now, can you give everyone an example on what your, what your daily macros would look like?
2: Yeah, so right now they're like, right around 5,400 calories total. Um, so the way that I look at it is like calories per kilogram or calories per pound. Um, and, you know, typically for people, like if we're going kilos, for example, you're gonna find they're gaining, and it depends how experienced you are, but someone who's like fairly experienced, um, you know as a competitive bodybuilder in that like 35 to 45 kilocalories per kilogram kind of range so i'm right at that 45 end now and the reason i'm at the top end of that is because you know as you know like our jobs are pretty active and just living in the city you know i'm doing 12 15,000 steps a day at 265 right so there's a there's a nice even just rhythmic cardiovascular component to my day already right, right. which is great um, but the downside of that is you got to eat a lot of food. So from there, you know, you have your total number and right like in order to gain, you know, in 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 order to gain weight, like you you ultimately need to put something in like that mass doesn't come from anywhere the energy isn't you know isn't lost so it comes in and you gain that weight so you start with like you know what's the total that you need and then you break that down from there the next component you'd go into macronutrient wise is you say like okay protein because that's something again you can set just based on like a kilocalorie per or sorry a like grams per kilogram type of range um and that's typically going to live in the two to three um you know two to three
0: grams per per, pound per per kilogram per per kilo okay
2: Okay, so think like you know uh two two point two grams Grams per kilo is a pound right Right. so when you're in that three end you're really at the top end number i mean most like a lot of the recommendations are going to be more like you know 1.8 even less grams per pound
0: that's for that's for that's for weight gain though
2: Not 1.8, like 0.08 or something. Dieting is typically going to be a little bit higher, but let's just say, like, just to make it simple for people that are in the US, um, you're going to be under one gram per pound pretty much all the time. If you're at a gram per pound, like, you're good. You don't need to worry about it. Like, if you want to make it really simple, which it should be, like, put it at a gram per pound. Don't think about it. I tend to live a little bit on the higher side of that because I've found. The carbohydrate values that I need to hit to get to those um, total calories are super high. Right. And with that can come some gut distress and you have to be really careful about where you're choosing your foods from. Mm-hmm. So the next component I would go into is fat. And for me, you know, there's been these phases you know, in history where we say, well, fat is bad and now fat is good. Um, but from the perspective of a bodybuilder, I like to keep fat as low as possible. Fat is still the easiest thing to be stored as fat. Like it doesn't, you know, require insulin to do it. Like fat, literally, just like two droplets on a plate comes together. Um, so it's it's very clear in like carbohydrate overfeeding studies and things like that that, you know, the easiest thing to turn into fat is fat. And so your so your so your
0: main fat consumption is coming from the the protein that you're eating. Yeah, you're like not I'm not adding you're you're not any adding, adding any external sources, correct?
2: Except you know, and this is why we could talk for hours. So there's just a lot of layers of this yeah, stuff. Sure. Like well, I could get down to like, yeah, get down to like literally the minerals and stuff like that. But so what I do for fats is cause again, for me to get to that number, I could be eight, 900 grams of carbs. But when I get to that level, even with very careful carbohydrate sources like things that digest pretty easily, most people try to be like higher fiber. But when your carbohydrates are that high, you actually want to keep fiber pretty low. Like you want things to pass through pretty quickly. Um, you typically want things, um, you know, that just reduce gas and bloating. I think low FODMAP for a lot of people, as trendy as that sounds, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm very specific on my carbohydrate choices. White rice makes up a ton of my carbs you know i make sure that i hit you know the standard amount of vegetables and you know um you know some fruits in there as well but for fats what i do is i actually add a ton of mct oil as well so mct is another one of those things that's like not going to be as readily stored as fat as you know say like a long chain triglyceride Mm -hmm. so what i found is like let's say two tablespoons of mct oil is you know 28 grams of fat and then mcts are a little bit less calories per gram than other fats mm-hmm. so you're going to be a little bit towards eight so you have 28 times eight that's 160 64. that's like 224 calories i think i did that right 28 times 6 120 48 right, 168 something like that Sure. So whatever yeah. we'll take my <laughs> word for that never, never been like, right Yip. but then so divide that by four You know, and you end up with like, okay, well, how much rice would I need to eat to make up for that amount of MCT oil? And then you look at two tablespoons of MCT oil and you look at, you know, a cup and a half of rice and it adds up. So every meal I'm putting in two tablespoons of MCT oil because that's something that doesn't cause me personally any digestive distress when I. When it's in a mixed meal, in a large mixed meal, mm-hmm. it's not—it's readily used as energy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, when, when I dug through the research, you find like in studies where people are having trouble, you know, either either digesting foods or keeping on weight that they'll often use MCT oil. Like there's a lot of the good research you're going to find, you know, for growth, for example, is going to be in children and elderly or in trying to pick what foods you might use might be in like disease states. So I'm looking at, you know, they're using MCT oil in disease states. It's Easy for people with, you know, say a short bowel syndrome to digest. It's going to be pretty easy for you to digest yeah, sure, as well. Sure. So, I'll add, you know, uh, 112 grams of fat just from MCTs alone. That allows me to start, you know, a hypertrophy block, you know, in the five six hundred gram range for carbs, rather than in the eight nine hundred gram range, so that I can escalate there. Eight nine hundred
0: grams is a lot of. That's a lot of rice. I, I remember when I was doing um. I shot the cover of Muscle and Fitness last year, and when I was, I I had four and a half weeks to prep and up until that you're, point, you're welcome i was here Thank you. Uh, i i basically was consuming about 450 to 500 grams of carbs a day and i was doing it mainly through sweet, sweet potato because cool. my body just does better yeah. with sweet potato than it would do i love rice but i know from a bloat standpoint a digestibility standpoint i just felt like my body would look a little drier and then when i had the four and a half weeks i dropped from 500 grams to 300 grams and i basically just I mean, I lowered my fat from 125 to 90 and kept my protein the same, and I just stayed there, and, like, every week was like...
1: And you were confident, too, when we spoke
0: that I was, you could I do was, it. I was, I was confident, but I was also, like, I was a little bit of a skeptic the first week. After the first week, I was like, do I need to make another adjustment? And I was talking to, um, I was talking to Ben House, Dr. Ben House, and he was just like, no, 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 it's working, just, just stick with it. And I, I kind of stepped back, I'm like, you're right, it is working. And I just kind of laid there, and then, like, every day I was waking up, and I was like oh, my God, like, I'm getting, like, it's kind of funny. You know how it is. I mean, you've done it on a way higher level, but your body just starts changing, and you start seeing veins come out, or you look a little more vascular in your upper chest, and you just start learning to trust that process, where, you know, five years ago, it'd be like a water deload and, you know, all this crazy crap that you probably still have to do, but I just don't do it because I'm not getting on stage. I'm trying to come in with something I can pretty much maintain all year long.
1: I mean, how much do you sleep? Because just hearing about your food and what goes into it, I'm I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm just curious to like, <laughs> how do you kind of keep up right? on everything? No, but, no, no, it's yeah. awesome. No, right? no, 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 but it's exhausting how much goes into it. It's a lot of... But you have to love it. Oh, yeah, I know. That's you what know. I mean. It's a lot of prep, but it's also because you have this goal in mind that you, you want to achieve. So it makes sense that you're motivated to continue it. But for somebody that doesn't have that goal, I'm like, holy yeah. shit. Like, there's a lot going into just his meals. Um and even more, I'm sure, goes into the recovery and training aspect, because especially the recovery, since we talked about we only talked about a very small portion of it, but Don, you know, mentions it a lot. That's the other times you're not in training. Like, everything else is going to build toward that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, are you just, like, sick of food? Like, so you just like hate yeah, it I yeah
2: hate it. I hate it. if you can just take
0: a pill you would
2: <laughs> yeah totally I mean but in either direction it's yeah. like that like your body's just trying to bring you back to homeostasis and it changes your psychology right it, it just makes oh it'll be all right if you if you just do this so like literally the way that you see the world starts to change because your body doesn't want you to go there and you know your physiology is just going to send messages to your brain and, and literally the way that you know you see yourself in the world the way that you feel is going to change to try to put you back there. Like a good example would be, you're sick and it's like, you just want to lay in bed and not eat. Your body did that to you for a reason, because it's a good idea. And what you see, like you mentioned sleep, like i measure my sleep, I use the aura ring. Um, and, you know, for me, that's a really good tool because I can track things like uh, heart rate variability, respiratory rate. For most people, like looking at their heart rate variability, you know, on, on a day to day basis. You know, or I I look at things again, sort of more low and slow. So I'm looking at it, you know, on a month to month maybe basis. It's not going to really determine much of what they do. But what I when I'm using these markers, I'm looking at. I'm expecting to see deviations because I know that I'm pushing my physiology in a direction it doesn't want to go. And then you have to ask yourself, what's an acceptable level of deviation? So every time you make these jumps, you know, wh- whether it be you know, from you know, 240 to 250 or now from 265 to 275, you start to see those markers you know, drop off. Yeah. And, you know, you have consequences like to your health and you have new problems that you have to solve. Because your body doesn't want you to be there and it has to deal with the consequence of this new muscle, this new weight. You know, so a lot of bodybuilders are facing things like, you know, like a sleep apnea, if we're talking about sleep, for example. And then you'd have to break that down and say, like, what are the components of that? Like there are, um, you know, obstructive, just mechanical components. So you might learn more about anatomy and, you know, what you could do with your body to sort of change those obstructions. Um, Just understand breathing on a different level. And mechanically, you could change that a lot. You might change your sleep environment. You know, we have the blackout curtains, like the room is set, you know, 60, 65 degrees, but with like a chili pad also like on on the bed, Um, you know, and, and all these little things that you're doing to, you know, maybe solve a problem. Right? At one point, it was like, okay, you've eaten to the point now where you're starting to get um, some like acid reflux, well, what's the etiology of that? And then you find, well, like, maybe it's actually not having enough acid, and that's another. So you come up with, as you try to push your physiology further and further, you're presented with new problems, and it's your body just pushing back to try to bring you back to where you were. And we can do this as humans because we have this belief in this future self. So we keep finding new ways to sort of solve these problems. And that's kind of the process, like I was saying in the beginning, is just finding those ways. So there's, I mean, listen, there's, there's a cost to doing
0: business. I mean, he's trying to put on an incredible amount of weight. Right. Um, he's doing something that I just, I couldn't do. I mean, this is, this is insane. Most human beings can't, yeah. can't do that, but he's also giving himself the best possible opportunity to be healthy because of all the other things right. that he is doing for his body, that you are doing for your body, and that takes, a, you know, a, a, a huge thought process. And you hear about bodybuilders that unfortunately are dropping dead, and specific things that are happening with their with their with their health, or you know, just going through a list of names over the last decade that have lost their life. You know, Ethan, someone who's putting a lot of thought into this, and this is the way I see things going. Right unfortunately he's one of the earlier guys to do this right uh, you wish a lot of other bodybuilders would take this approach otherwise you you, know, you can't just throw food in your body and just go pump iron and just expect yes there's going to be some change to a specific point and at that point it's like all right nothing's happening anymore and that's why it's so impressive what he's doing and honestly man like we really wish you all the luck with this stuff and, and i know connor connor said it to me uh, Connor Ryan, a phenomenal physical therapist, said it to me when I met Ethan. He says he will be on a he, he'll be on Olympia stage one day, trust me. And he just kinda of went off and I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just meeting this guy, and he was, you know, a little bit bigger than me. Now he's a freaking monster. And um but it is impressive to see his trajectory and what he's doing. And
1: now, next time I want to talk about uh how you like the ring and like the differences uh between the ring and, and like other things like the whoop. There he Don't goes. Off. There there he goes again. Uh there has
0: been a uh Actually, you didn't get that on camera? How'd you not get that on camera? That's been a consecutive three, yeah. three straight That's episodes good. where I did that. So you think you guys are moving, <laughs> but you didn't. <laughs> but
1: so.
0: no, in fact, we, I'm yeah, not taking the point. It's actually,
1: actually, like, looser now. So we wouldn't if you loyal. just brush against just it, it falls. It. Yeah. Anyway, um, Ethan, thanks, man. Thanks thank for coming you. in. For and, coming in uh, thanks, yeah, really uh, my head's still spinning from a lot of things, uh, specifically just you going through your meals. But well, uh, You
2: know, hopefully next time we can, like, go into a specific topic, like, no, you know, break no, it down a little bit the, more. Cause but, uh, it's interesting, though.
1: It is. It, it's interesting, but it's just it's just a lot, a lot that's, that's poured into it. And I think that what Don's saying is peop, a lot of people still have, they don't know how much is going into it, specifically for people that are coming at it from a new direction. And uh, like Don said, This, is, this is more direction. of an intro
0: today, and this is more of, like, this is who this guy yeah. is, and this is his background. And I think we could definitely build on some topics if you're up for it in the future
1: cool man thanks again no go for it don it's episode 500 episode
0: 500 yeah. guys thanks for joining us um <laughs> you can go to uh www.muscleandfitness.com <laughs> reps at muscleinfitness.com muscle if you want com. to email us. You've been doing it every time. Watch At you Don work.
1: Saladino on Instagram. Z-Raz. 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 And you don't have Instagram I have an email. He's got, uh, <laughs> I thought you to give out, Contact <laughs> Pat Davidson uh, on his social media. Or just do that.
0: Yeah. send a smoke signal to Ethan. Um, we'll have all the information below. Yeah. We're just joking around, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Until yeah. next time. Thanks.